Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our MLK Study Day celebration. For the past 18 years, Goshen College has provided activities and programs to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King. Our theme this year is This Far by Faith, Christ, Hope, and Survival. Our theme and the pictures in the PowerPoint that you will see throughout the convocation powerfully reminds us of the faith that Dr. King lived and he also has a legacy in which we are now living today. In the book, Trumpet of Conscience, Dr. King reflected on hope. He stated, if you lose hope, somehow you, you lose the vitality that keeps life moving. You lose the courage to be, the quality that helps you go on in spite of it all. And so today, I still have a dream. And Dr. King's dream lives on. It still inspires us and motivates us. And yes, today, we walk by faith and not by sight. In this convocation, you will hear songs of faith by Voices in Harmony. You will hear poetry that encourages us through hope by Dr. Manny Martinez and words of survival from Dr. Quentin Dixie. We hope that you accept the challenge today to journey along with us as we walk by faith and not by sight. I bring to you Voices in Harmony Gospel Choir.
How's everybody doing this morning? That sounds terrible. You guys doing better than that? <laughs> well, once again, this is Voices in Harvard. We're going to sing one more song for you. We wanted to get the nice, pretty, melodic song out of the way and just then so we can give you the more of the feel of the gospel choir. So we're going to um, sing a song, which is a call and response song called Glory, Glory, Glory. Um, if you've been to a, one of our chapels before, you may have heard it before. So if you have heard it, we want you to sing even extra louder. And I know that was terrible grammar, but you know what I meant. So I'm going to teach you. You guys, welcome to choir rehearsal. This is Voices of Harmony Choir Rehearsal. We've just got 200 extra members, so welcome. You guys are indicted into the choir for the next 10 minutes. So the song is called Glory, Glory, Glory. So I'm going to show you how it goes before we start singing it so then um, we can get everything started. So when the choir rehearsal starts, you can't sing sitting down. So if we want you all to stand up with us. Come on. Got to get into that diaphragm. All right. So. This is how it goes. Me and the choir are going to show you how it goes. But pretty much whatever I say, just repeat after me, okay? So I'll go, glory, glory, glory to our King. Glory, glory, glory to our King. The Lamb who was slain for our being. The Lamb who was slain for our being. Glory, glory, glory to our King. Glory, glory, glory to our King. The Lamb who was slain for our being. The Lamb who was slain then I'll go. for our being. We cry glory to our King. All right. So just say, we cry glory to our King. We cry glory to our King. Okay, everybody got it? Any questions, concerns, comments? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so we're about to sing the song, all right? So first, you got to put your hands together like this. Say, glory, glory, glory to our King, yeah. Glory, glory, glory to our King. The Lamb who was slain for our being. Say, we cry glory to our King. Hey, say, we cry glory to our Okay, so we're going to say holy. Say, holy, holy, holy is our king. Holy, holy, holy is our king. The lamb who was slain for our being. Say, holy, holy, holy is our king. The lamb who was slain for our being, say we cry glory to our King. Oh, say we cry glory to our Hey, everybody sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're worthy. 
You're so worthy. Say hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy. You're so worthy. We cry glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say we cry to our, to our King. So just in case you're confused on who our King is, we'll tell you his name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is our King. He's the Lamb who was slain for our being. Say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is our King, yeah. Jesus, Jesus is our King. He's the Lamb who was slain for our being. Say, we cry glory to our King. Oh, say, we Everybody sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy. You're so worthy. Say hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy. You're so worthy. Say hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy. You're so worthy. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. And we love you. We love you. We praise you. We praise you. Because you're holy. You're so holy. You're so righteous, you're so righteous, and you're Jesus, you're my Jesus, you're my Jesus, you're my Jesus. We cry glory to our hallelujah, say we cry. Thank you, Voices in Harmony. Um, good morning, everyone, and happy MLK Day. Um, today, I have the honor and pleasure of welcoming Dr. Manuel Luis Martinez, joining us from Ohio State University, where he is an English professor. Um, some of you may have already met him, as he's been with us all this weekend, doing writing workshops and meeting with faculty and students. Um, today, he will be sharing some of his work with us, and so with that, I ask you to join me in welcoming Dr. Manuel Martinez. Good morning. Uh, first of all, I just want to uh, thank the folks who brought me out here. Uh, it's really an honor uh, to be asked to speak at this convocation on such uh, a meaningful day um, for me. Uh, for 
my family, uh, for the memory of my family, um, and what MLK, Dr. King, uh, meant to us and has meant to us, uh, his message of peaceful resistance um, that also helped to inspire one of our great leaders, Cesar Chavez, um, as he also sought to uh, help those uh, that were oppressed in this country. Um, hope inspires, and inspiration uh, creates hope. And so what I wanna talk a little bit about today uh, and to share with you is, first of all, those words Dr. King's that have inspired me. Uh, one of the courses that I teach at Ohio State is the history of the counterculture and the civil rights movement. And um, it is always inspiring to me to have young students, many uh, of the faces I look across here are young students, in my courses and have them be self-selecting in the sense that they want to, they have a hunger uh, for social justice, have a hunger to interact in their communities. Uh, they, uh, as, as young people, they still haven't uh, figured out that there are some really huge challenges out there and haven't grown cynical and still have this sort of energy that flows through them. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the words that have inspired me of Dr. King's, uh, some of the words that I share with my students. Um, and then to end up uh, with a little short story uh, about uh, that I, I hope will give you a sort of sense of, uh, of how hope was inspired in me as a young person uh, by my grandmother. Um, in a le letter from Birmingham, uh, from the Birmingham jail, uh, Dr. King said some bracing things about the need for courage in the face of injustice. I'll share about three quotes with you that I stress to my students. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over. Men are no longer willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice where they experience the blackness of corroding despair. And despair is the nemesis of hope. He writes, I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and, un and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the very highest respect for law. Goes on to, we can never forget that everything Hitler did in Germany was legal. It was illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany, but I am sure that if I had lived in Germany during that time, I would have aided and comforted my Jewish brothers even though it was illegal. And we live in a time right now in which that term, legal and illegal, is thrown around daily on our television stations, on the news reports, splashed across every day. I would argue that today's Mississippi is Arizona, Southern California, and not just limited to those places, but across our country in which we daily hear and nightly hear voices of intolerance, voices encouraging violence, voices encouraging exclusion. And so Dr. King's words are not just words that were spoken 45, 50 years ago and had meaning then and that we just sort of take off the shelf once a year, but are words that are living words that are words and create and speak to situations which are with us daily. And I want to encourage students, the students sitting here are the young people who are our next generation, 
our current generation to, to realize that, to see that. And I hope I'm not gilding the lily because one of the things that I've been really impressed about this community is how aware young people are about their duties to this community, to a community outside of this community, a larger community, a national community, a national family. But get involved. And justice isn't just in Arizona. It's easy in some ways to just say, well, today's Mississippi is, is Arizona or Southern California. Justice exists everywhere. Intolerance exists everywhere. It exists within ourselves. That's one of the things that Dr. King preached and taught, is that we had to look inward as well, understand that we had to meet intolerance and injustice with peaceful methods because intolerance and justice isn't just external, it's internal as well. In Tomas Rivera's story, when we arrive, there's a woman who sits in the back of a flatbed pickup truck on her way from South Texas, coming north on a yearly journey that pulls her away from her family, that uproots her family uh, in this continual cycle of what my grandmother used to call Las Piscas. She was a migrant worker as well. Uproots a family, takes them up. And they are, um, these people are, uh, Tomas Rivera lets us into the heads of each of these people. There's about 15, 20, 30 people on the back of this flatbed truck. They've been standing the whole time. We visit each person's mind as they think to themselves what is bothering them. Most of them are in physical agony or misery. Many of them are lonely. Some of them are angry. A couple of them are hopeful and have some kinds of plans for what will happen when they get to Minnesota, which is where they're headed. And one of the final characters that we visit on that story when we arrive is a woman, and she says, or thinks, when we arrive, when we arrive, when we arrive. The truth of the matter is that we never arrive. We get somewhere, and then it's time to move on again. And it makes me think about the notion of arrival and the necessity in the human heart for arrival, for security, for place, for home. We're not so different from each other in what we want, what we need. Tomas Rivera called it dignity, dignidad, that which we give to each other, common respect. And one of the wonderful things that happens at the end of this story is that the people who are standing on the back of the truck, the truck stops and they get out, and Tomas Rivera depicts a coming dawn as these people who have been thinking about their own individual needs and desires and miseries, and they begin to see as the coming light dawns that they are in fact a people, that they are in this situation together, that they are all in the back of this truck together and that the only way for them to get off this truck, to become a people, to empower themselves, is to realize what they have in common with each other, what they share. And therein lies hope. Daily we see the inhumanity, the brutality, the, the just the, the inability of humans to sometimes grant each other basic dignity. And what I want to take away from today uh, is to remember that the dignity is what we owe each other. In dignity lies hope. In community lies hope. In each other lies hope. Within each other lies hope. In the lexicon of my grandmother, uh, to be a burro was to be uh, hard-headed, to be intolerant, to be blind to things to not understand, to maybe consciously, consciously, purposefully not understand things. 
And so the thing you did not want to be around my grandmother was a boodle. You didn't want to hear her call you a boodle. You know? And I want to leave on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, a small gesture here of hope, and I want to read a, a short, short story uh, about a moment in which I, my grandmother took me uh, somewhere to teach me this lesson and to teach me a little bit about what I needed to expect from myself, what I needed to give to others, pass on, which I'm trying to do today, and give you a little bit of insight on what she passed on to me. I'd been faking being sick so I wouldn't have to go to school. I hated going to school. My mom stole my grandmother and so she took me to go see a shoe cobbler one day. She told me she had to drop off some shoes to be fixed, you know, just an errand. I was only six, so I was just along for the ride as far as I knew. It was just some little shop where the guy probably lived right there in my grandma's neighborhood. The shop was shabby and plain with an unvarnished floor made out of old dull wood. There were two or three chairs with his workbench in the middle of the room. He was an old guy, and when he walked in, he said hello to my grams by her first name. He said, Rosita. A few crooked teeth poking from his wrinkly round lips. I could tell he was a nice old coop, offering his hospitality to my grandmother. Got shoes for you today, Lencho, she told him, and she held out a pair of old lady shoes for him to take. He grabbed them, happy like, regular businessman. He walked immediately to his bench and began to reheal my grandma's gray shoes. This boy, he looks like a good boy, he said as he tap-tapped with his little hammer like some elf from a fairy story someone had once told me. Oh, he's okay, but he's going to be a burro. <laughs> the old man stopped tapping for a second to peer over at me with a serious look. You don't want to be no burro boy. He started tapping again, but kept talking too. I'm a burro. I looked over at my grams because I wanted to crack up at the old man who just called himself a burro. Who would do that? But she was listening to Lencho, and so I stifled the laugh and looked back at him. Yeah, I never wanted to go to school. My mama, she needed me to work anyway, so she didn't care if I stopped going to school. Now all I do is fix these shoes when I get shoes. Then Graham started talking to him. She pretended to ignore me like I wasn't even there. I'm a burra too, Lencho. I have to clean houses for those old rich white ladies over on the north side of town. She shook her head so slow, so sad. Imagine that, me, an old lady, cleaning houses for ladies the same age as me. Until brought over the shoes that he just rehealed. Look at us, he said, looking at me. A couple of burros and you with a chance to go to school. He shook his head sad, like I disappointed him. Really bad, a big way. He's going to be a burro too, Graham said, matter of factly. I know it. That's what he wants, all the time pretending to be sick, coming over crying early from school because he doesn't like it. The two burros looked at me. So sad, like. Grams gave him a couple of bucks, and he took it and put it in his apron. The cool part was that just as we hit the door, I heard the old guy go, hee-haw, <laughs> just like a burro. I still fake sick the next day, but I knew that I wouldn't be a burro. That always stayed in my head, always. My grams was always good that way. Thank you much for your attention, and God bless you.
Hey, my name is Matthew Parker. I'm a junior here at Goshen College, a youth ministry major, and also a member of SWAG, Serving with All Gifts, a group of young men here on campus that um, come together to use our gifts to change the lives of children as well as people in need within the community. And I'm very honored to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Quentin Dixie. He's an assistant professor of religious studies at Indiana University, Purdue University at Fort Wayne. He holds a master's and a PhD in religious studies and American church history from Union Theological Seminary. He's a co-author with Juan Williams of, far, of This Far By Faith and also a co-editor with Cornell West of The Courage to Hope. He's an active member in the Fort Wayne community and I'm very honored to introduce him now and if you would all help me in welcoming him. morning. This is more like it. Uh, I went to a prayer breakfast this morning and it started with um, you know, a little registration. Odalette gave me a name tag to put on so people know who I am. And I went and found my seat at the head table and I looked around and I looked and then I said, where are all the black people? <laughs> I'm taking this name tag off. Uh, they ain't had any problem finding me, Odalette. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I've heard all these things about Goshen College, and here I see the rich diversity um, that I thought I would see the prayer breakfast. Um, okay. I'm going to start by taking a text. I know this isn't chapel service, but I'm going to do it anyway. I hope this isn't broadcast in Fort Wayne. My mother might be shouting. She swears I'm down. I'm called to preach. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1, and of course you know this is all about faith. Right? Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents 
as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Right, here's, here's the kicker right here. Right? All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Now faith, we're here today uh, to celebrate, to remember, to renew our spirits with the kind of interest uh, in expressing uh, that joy that passes all understanding that King knew so well and that he expressed in his famous I Have a Dream speech. The interesting thing about the I Have a Dream speech is so often people always turn to the end, right? That's the fun part, right? Where King's in full preacher flair, where he's in his celebratory mode, where we can all walk away with a warm fuzzy, right? Uh, but early on in the talk, King has some things to say uh, that are interesting. We might remember that the title of the March on Washington, the occasion for the speech, was actually called the March on Washington for, anybody? Jobs and freedom, all right? So not just coming to March on Washington, but coming because they have some complaints. And King says very clearly in the beginning of the, Mar of the I Have a Dream speech, and so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check when the architects of our republic wrote a magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring his sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us, upon demand, the riches of freedom and the security of justice. Now, I've come today to talk about this bad check. The balance is still outstanding, right? The question remains, though, who has to pay? And the answer, I think, is also found in King. We all have to pay. We owe on this promissory note that is pinned in the Constitution. So why do we owe? Well, I don't know if you all had a chance. I, I sent a, a piece for, did you get that piece? Uh, Finding God, I sent out a, a something for you all to read if you had the time. And this is a piece by Howard Thurman. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Howard Thurman. He was an African-American theologian. Uh, Howard Thurman was a teacher 
of King's father at Morehouse College uh, and was also at Boston University when King was there. Uh, in addition to his other accomplishments, Thurman was the first African-American to actually travel to, Gandhi, to India and to meet Gandhi and brought back some of the ideas associated with nonviolent direct action. Uh, this is early as the 1930s. Um, and so Thurman was also a mentor to King and to others in the movement. Thurman says there are two important reasons why we have to make good on this check. Number one, he says there's an underlying spiritual unity. All of us are connected, regardless of our religious background, regardless of whether or not we're Mennonites. Everybody can't be as fortunate as, as most of you here to be Mennonites. Regardless of our religious background, Thurman says very clearly, we all share this underlying spiritual unity. Because of this spiritual unity, you cannot be who you are until I can be who I'm supposed to be. You cannot be who God has called you to be until I can be whom God has called me to be. Therefore, one of the reasons why we have to make good on this check is because our destinies are inextricably linked. Don't ask me why, that's just the way God made it. Right? This is partly King and Thurman's complaints with the missionary project, right? It's not that they're anti-missionary. Their concern is that often the missionary impulse means I'm taking something to you because you need something. Instead of thinking that I'm getting something back that helps fulfill whom God has called me to be. Hello, walls. This thing on? Yeah. yeah. So, on the one hand, we've got an underlying spiritual unity. On the other hand, our destinies are inextricably linked, and I can't be who I'm supposed to be until I can help you become all that God has called you to be. Well, on the surface, we can kind of see that we've achieved some of that. Since the Civil Rights Movement, blacks have gained the right to vote. We've done away with segregation and public accommodations. A lot has changed. And at the same time, there's a lot of things that haven't changed. So even as we've made tremendous strides, made significant progress, there's a lot that still needs to be done. Well, one of the reasons why that is is because one of the things that we went after when we tried to change things for the civil rights movement is we tried to change people's behavior. And the idea is that if you change someone's behavior over time, the attitude will change as well. It's not against the law to be racist, but if we can stop people from discriminating, then perhaps over time, people will lose some of their racist ideas. Right? If I can stop the guy from lynching me today, then maybe he'll recognize me as a full human being at some point in the future. Right? Well, Howard Thurman thought that this was backwards. Right? You have to start with trying to change the conditions of an individual's heart. And that comes through the kind of one-on-one -on -one contact, the interpersonal contact that is so important. Um, I've learned something about myself since I've been at Goshen College. One of the things I've learned is that I'm a thief. Um, I've stolen or planned to steal two things since I've been here. Uh, one is this, the swag. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I like that name. I'm using it. 
My church has no idea yet, but you know, we're getting swag. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing I'm stealing. The other thing I'm stealing is uh, the intercultural semester, Latino studies. I'm taking that. Um, <laughs> got it right here. We put so much money into our overseas studies program. And right across town, there are communities which we know nothing about. Fort Wayne is an incredibly diverse place. And yet you can go all day without experiencing the other if you really want to. Um, so how do we break down those boundaries? How about trying to figure out how to engage right where we live? Right? Thank you, Goshen College. IPFW thanks you. Um, that hopefully over time then yields the kind of one-on-one -on -one contact and an internal change that both Thurman and King thought were so important. So now that we understand why we need to do this, the next question becomes how. How do we make good on this promise? We have to recommit ourselves to the religion of Jesus. Now notice what I said there. Didn't say Christianity, said the religion of Jesus, right? Gandhi himself said, wow, I'd be a Christian if it weren't for those damn Christians, <laughs> right? It's a difference between the religion of Jesus and Christianity. Howard Thurman articulated as well. When he was in India in the 1930s, uh, an Indian law professor uh, asked him, why are you here? Why, as an African-American, I'm assuming you have some intelligence, why would you come all the way to India to preach about Christianity when Africans were brought to the New World on slave ships called Jesus? Uh, how is it that any self-respecting black person could still remain committed to Christianity. And Thurman's answer was, the problem isn't with Christianity, of course it's with Christians. If we can get back to the religion of Jesus, then perhaps we can find the answers that can help us make good on this promissory note. So who was Jesus then? Well, Thurman outlines a couple of things. Number one, Jesus was a Jew, member of an oppressed minority. He was broke, right? He was poor. Um, Jesus didn't have basic citizenship rights, unlike Paul, right? When Paul gets arrested, Paul says, I want to talk to the Romans. Jesus didn't have those options, right? Uh, people weren't sure about who his daddy was, right? Um, if, you look in the, if you look in Luke, I mean, I'm not making this up, people, right? I mean, look in Luke. I mean, this is, part, I think, partly why we always skip the genealogies of Jesus that are in the, the, the Gospels. Uh, Luke's genealogy starts out, he was a son of, and then he puts in parentheses, or so it was thought. Uh, <laughs> Joseph, I'm like, whoa. Luke's talking about it. And then you look at Matthew's genealogy. Matthew has all these, like, 42 generations of men, and in there he names five women. And who are the women? Two prostitutes, a, a foreigner, Bathsheba, who doesn't even call by name, right? Who had been Uriah's wife. She's so bad, we won't call her name. And then Mary, right? Throws Mary in there with all those bad people. And so if Jesus came today, where would we find Jesus? Broke, oppressed, illiterate, right? 
not sure who his father was. How do we reach out to these kinds of communities and make good on that promissory note? Well, ultimately the answer is that we have to be both lovers and fighters, right? I'm, I'm kind of playing here on some of you's youth. You probably don't remember, you know, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, the girl is mine, right? <laughs> Michael Jackson says, I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? <laughs> remember that? I'm saying we need to be both, right? Too young to remember those things, aren't you? You probably don't remember Jimmy Carter, do you? Right. A lover and a fighter. Thurman says it's with love that we have to fight, right? I understand you guys are engaging in uh, 40 days of peace, right? How can we do that if we don't understand the core of that peace is love? If you don't have the kind of love that can sustain you in the fight, then Thurman says you don't have genuine love at all. So be troublemakers, right? And I know, you know this is a, a school that has a tradition of this, right? Be troublemakers. What kind of trouble are we talking about? We're talking about embracing the porcupine, right? <laughs> getting your arms around a problem which you know is going to hurt you. Right? Putting yourself in harm's way for righteousness' sake. Doing the right thing for all the right reasons. Right? Knowing that it's going to uh, bring you some pain. But in your witness, others will see whom it is that you serve. Now, President Brenneman asked me uh, at the prayer breakfast, what happened to the civil rights movement? Uh, do we still see the civil rights movement today and is the church actively engaged? Well, my answer to him was that there are civil rights movements. And because the issues aren't quite as clear, we can lapse into thinking that there is no movement. There are a lot of ways for us to get involved. Pick one. You name the issues. On King Day, we should think about it as, you know, the, the modern day, you know, what would King do movement? You know, where would King be? What kinds of things would he be actively engaged in? Uh, one of the things I'm sure he would be concerned about is access to education, right? The costs continually going up, right? It costs a lot to go to college. And because of that, some people are priced out of the market. What do those kinds of things mean? The fact that the gap between rich and poor continues to expand, right? Record unemployment rates and yet record profits from corporations. Something's not right here, right? Issues around same sex, and, and this is probably the thing that has uh, the greatest appeal to, or possibility to split churches, just as slavery did in the 19th century. Uh, issues around uh, same sex unions, uh, the relationship of the church to same sex matters, has that same potential to split churches today. Oh, it can even split families. So think about before Credit Scott King died, she and her daughter Bernice had a little public tiff, right? Bernice, who's a member of um, Eddie Long's, yeah, I can say, Eddie Long's congregation in Atlanta, and she's one of the groups that's, you know, leading the, you know, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of movement in Atlanta, was saying if her father was alive, you know, he would be against same-sex marriage. And Credit said, mm, hold on. 
he would see this as an extension of human rights. And she argued her mother up and down in public. Mother says, you know, I think I knew him a little better than you did. <laughs> right, right. So what kinds of things can we do to be engaged? There are a lot of things, and I hope that you all will find your movement. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Dixie. Uh, thank you also to Professor Martinez, uh, Voices in Harmony, the Martin Luther King Day Planning Committee headed by Odalette Nance, um, the college, uh, Goshen College PR Department, and you all. I'm gonna come back to the thanks I have for you in just a moment. Um, before I do that, I wanna give you a few nexts. Uh, there are at least five I can think of. Immediately following this convocation, there is a town hall meeting in the southeast corner of, the, of this building, and that's in the uh, 11 o'clock hour. Um, at noon in the dining hall, there will be uh, videos streaming of Martin Luther King, audio and video from his words. Um, at one o'clock, I believe there's a reading in Newcomer Hall of the, the poetry from Martinez. And then the other two things, there is an exhibit hall that I want to invite everyone to have a look at at some point between those hours, or if you're not able to make it to some of the other events, uh, student artwork reflecting the theme of This Far By Faith. And the fifth thing that I'd like now to extend to you as both an invitation and a word of thanks, because you've already actually completed the first day of peace just by being here. I want to say a little bit about 40 Days of Peace and this, this initiative. Um, first of all, I want to acknowledge an organization called Service for Peace Incorporated. It was from that organization that we got that idea to carry that here to uh, Goshen College. And um, a couple of things about it. It really is in our minds as the committee and, and hopefully from as you listen to the words of our speakers, an opportunity to take the teachings of this day and the teachings of Dr. King and extend them consciously uh, through your lives and through acts of peace and through acts of service uh, well beyond this day and hoping that that shift uh, continues to happen for each of us gradually in peace. Um, I want to just take one moment, too, to tell you that there's going to be a short video clip that's going to close today's convocation. And <clears throat> it's bookended by words from Dr. King talking about greatness, what is greatness, and then Coretta Scott King's words at the end of the video. It's about six minutes. You're also going to hear a little bit from John Lewis Harris Wofford, who 25 years ago is when Martin Luther King officially became a holiday in this country, and uh, I found out recently it was only in 2000 that it became a paid holiday in all 50 states. But when we talk about this uh, day and what it is, I've, I've heard some comments from some people, well, you know, maybe it's a misnomer that we've called it a study day because students think that they're supposed to be looking at their other books. Um, maybe 
it should be not called a holiday because people sometimes think of that as a day off. And as, as I think is completely clear, it really is a day on and in which we're serving. But certainly this is a day to think about a day of celebration and a day of service and thinking about uh, Goshen College's core values, uh, one of them being a servant leader. So I'll, I'll just say a couple more words here about Dr. King and his greatness. I'm a little bit, I teach in the education department. My name is Greg Ember and um, I'm a little bit of a numbers guy. I, I teach uh, a math methods course. I also teach social and civic education. So I found a few things that you, you may already know, but I found to be interesting about Dr. King. He went to college at the age of 15. He was the youngest man to receive a Nobel Prize at age 35. He was the first black American as man of the year, selected by time. Uh, there are 730 streets in this country named after him. And he, according to the Wall Street Journal, traveled uh, six million miles in his journey to faith on this, this earth, which a little bit of quick math says 240 times around the world. So clearly, um, putting the numbers aside and thinking again about greatness and each of us and what's our greatness, I wanna just say that I think that the words that you'll hear from John Lewis and Harris Wofford and Ruby Bridges and a few others involved in the civil rights movement will help frame it as acts of service, that greatness is service. So if we could dim the lights and then have that video and then after that, you'll be dismissed to those other events in the building. And I have one more thank you, which I forgot to do in advance. This is the dynamics. They'll be closing out the ceremony. I just wanted to say that on the 40 days of peace, if it is an act that you want to um, commit to, uh, we want to invite you to sign up over in this space toward the southeast. There's a pledge card that you can sign and then post. And, if, and on the college's website, there are several places where you can find the 40 acts, but you can also pick up a copy for your refrigerator or desk or wherever you'd like to hang that. Never said there wouldn't be trials. Never said I wouldn't fall. Never said that everything would go way I wanted to go. But when my back is against the wall and I feel all hope is gone, I just lift my head up to the sky and say, help me to be strong. I just Thank you. 
me this far to leave me. Said I can't give up now. I just can't give up now. Yes, I've come. come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me the road would be easy, and I don't believe he's brought me this far to leave me. Me this far to leave.